This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, November 23rd. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The life and death implications of delaying a presidential transition. Plus, how the country's largest public university system is handling Thanksgiving. But first, air travel and the holiday is today's one big thing. Last week, the CDC issued a warning against holiday travel. The day after, one million Americans got on a plane, making it the second highest volume of travelers in a single day airports have seen since the pandemic started. The worry, as Dr. Anthony Fauci explained on Face the Nation Sunday morning, isn't the plane itself. You're in a crowded airport. You're lining up. Not everybody's wearing masks. That puts yourself at risk. Joanne Muller is Axios' transportation correspondent. So, Joanne, this is our first big test. How are airports preparing to keep people safe right now? Well, Nyla, obviously airports are doing a lot to try to enforce social distancing. But when you have this many people all trying to get on a plane at once, it's a challenge. It's hard to socially distance on an airplane, which is why it's so important to wear a mask and to kind of slow down that boarding process. Give everybody some space. The same thing happens when you exit the plane. Everybody jumps out of their seat and wants to jump off the plane. But those are the instances where you get crowded and there's higher risk. What will this tell us about the holiday travel later this year? Well, I think a lot will depend on what happens to the virus. If we see a big spike in cases in about two weeks after Thanksgiving, we may just have to avoid traveling at all for Christmas. Joanne Muller is Axios' transportation correspondent based in Detroit. Happy Thanksgiving, Joanne. Thanks, you too. We'll be back in 15 seconds with One University System's pre-holiday preparations. Welcome back to Axios Today. Like the airports and airlines bracing for a holiday surge, colleges are getting ready to send their students back home for the holidays. How schools are handling this very widely, but we thought we'd zoom in today on the largest public university system in the country. That's the State University System of New York, which has tested all 140,000 on-campus students for COVID before Thanksgiving. Those who test positive are being asked to self-isolate for 14 days. Jim Malatris is the SUNY University Chancellor. Chancellor, thanks for being with us. Welcome. It's nice to be with you. Thank you. I wonder if you could let us in a little bit into your thinking of how did you prioritize what this plan was going to be as you're thinking I mean, you're dealing with a population that's almost like a small state in some ways when we think about the SUNY system. I think we've been trying to do more uniform compliance for all of our 64 campuses. And one of those things that we've done since the beginning of the semester was to do regular surveillance testing on our campuses. And that's a mandatory requirement. We've done more than 480,000 tests on our campuses since the beginning of the semester. Our positivity rate is 0.5%. So if we were a state, we'd be the lowest in the nation. So we worked with our public health experts and we said, we should do something more as we send most of our students home for the Thanksgiving break. So we said, let's test everyone on the way out. 
Our students have been doing it. They've been complying with it. And then what we said is you have to follow state and local health orders. If you're positive right now in the state of New York, by law, you have to isolate for 14 days in an environment where you can isolate away from other people. We're mandating that our campuses stay open over the holiday break. And we're actually encouraging our students, if they don't want to travel, not to travel. Well, let me ask you about that testing, though, because we know that testing is just one part of the equation. And we have seen that sometimes tests can give people a false sense of security. So I wonder how confident you are in the entire plan that you're doing, thinking it's not just about testing. So that has been really important. It's not just about testing. You're right. You have to isolate for a certain period of time before you go home and avoid exposure, which our students have been doing. They've been wearing their masks and they've been socially distancing on our campuses. We have high compliance with that. So you're right. It's not just about testing. It's about limiting the spread. What the testing allows us to do is monitor how the virus is either being transmitted or not transmitted on our campuses. Do we have it under control or not? And I know the spring is a long way off, but how are you thinking about grappling with that now? So we're moving our start of our semester a little later to February 1st. Now that can change too, depending on what the virus is doing in the state and in the country. So we're going to start a little later and we're requiring every student to be tested on the way back. And then we will continue our regular surveillance testing at the start of the semester as well. And we're the largest system to really bring students back. I mean, many large public university systems decided to stay remote, but we thought it was important to try to bring some of our students back. And I think as you see in many of the studies that are out there, even K through 12 or college, in-person instruction has not actually been a transmitter of the virus. In fact, it's been a safe environment that you can monitor. And I think that's bearing out here at SUNY as well. Jim Malatris is the chancellor of SUNY. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Happy Thanksgiving. You as well. Thank you so much. It's been more than two weeks since Joe Biden was declared the winner of the presidential election, but we've yet to see an official declaration from the General Services Administration that the transition can begin. That means everything from vaccine distribution plans and hiring candidates to oversee the fight against COVID-19 have been hampered when it comes to the Biden administration. And now a coalition of more than 40 racial justice groups are directly appealing to the GSA administrator, Emily Murphy, to officially begin the transfer of power. Until that happens, the coalition says the delay disproportionately hurts communities of color and is, quote, playing politics with their lives. Russell Contreras is the race and justice reporter for Axios. So, Russell, I think this concept, the idea that the delay slows down a Biden administration, is something that we're hearing a lot around the past couple of weeks, preventing them from hitting the ground running on January 20th. Why does this disproportionately affect communities of color? When a transition takes place, the incoming and the outcoming folks get together and talk about what's in place already and what needs to be done. Without those conversations, what's going to happen is an incoming administration is going to walk in and probably going to have to take two weeks to two months to catch up. Meanwhile, this virus is going to continue to spread. These communities will say, while you were arguing and bickering over votes, elders on the Navajo Nation, their lives were lost. People down in South Texas, they got infected and they weren't able to get the resources they needed and lives were lost there. Without a coordinated effort, they will be disproportionately affected. And they'll point to this as just an example of systemic racism that is continuing with our federal government. What else is up there in terms of priorities that they would like to see President-elect Biden tackle from day one? Obviously, immigration is one. For example, Domingo Garcia, the president of LULAC, the League of United Latin American Citizens, he says he hoped that Biden walks in and extends DACA immediately. 
Other groups have said they wish that Biden would start to investigate troubled police departments. So right now, there's a lot of positioning. There are a lot of demands. You have a combination of excitement and impatience with various civil rights groups to say, look, after four years of many of us feeling we've been neglected, it's time for action and we can't wait any longer. Russ Contreras is Axios' race and justice reporter based in Albuquerque. Thanks, Russ. Thank you so much. And now, a civil rights group that's found a way to take action safely today. The Poor People's Campaign begins a week of mourning for the quarter of a million Americans who've died from COVID-19 this year. It's led by William J. Barber II. We have to have some public rituals. We can't let that just pass over. But instead of a march, these protesters are staying in their cars, circling around 24 state houses and driving around Washington, D.C. to call for a smooth transition of power and COVID relief. Reverend Barber spoke to journalist April Ryan during an Instagram Live about the campaign. The Poor People's Campaign, we're having a mass, every state caravan of remembrance and call to action. Cars and trucks will be adorned with images and makeshift memorials to COVID-19 victims. Think of it as socially distanced social action. That does it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. And if you'd like more news before tomorrow, you can tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.